Um, I sent a picture of me coaching and my entire class is white and I'm the only black person. And I sent that intentionally um, because as a, a lifeguard instructor for the Red Cross, like they, I don't have much choice in where they'll send me. And so um, this, this year I got sent to nothing but white pools. I like to show that picture because I've kind of had to kind of reframe it in my own mind. Because when they first sent me out there, I called my dad and I was very frustrated because I'm like, see, you know, I didn't did all these years. It's up from males to the white man still, you know. Uh, but my dad was like, but they are getting the skills from a black person. And so they can never say that black people can't swim because they were literally taught by a black person. And I was like, oh, daddy, you're right. Oh. Hello everyone, my name is Walt and I'm the host of Boss Locks, a show where we are redefining professionalism, elevating black voices, and proving that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. You know, we do that by speaking to black leaders, CEOs, professionals, and just some really amazing people doing some pretty dope things or just have some really interesting perspectives. Now today, I have the honor and privilege of speaking to Coach Taj Omari. Coach Taj, how you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh man, it is honestly my pleasure. Like as soon as I um, saw the profile and everything, I just immediately was like, "Oh no, I, I have to interview her just to learn more about everything you're doing." Because I feel like it. I mean, it does affect everybody, um, and I think we all have certain stories about when it comes to swimming and everything. So, uh, for those who don't know, Taj is an aquatic director and owner of Empowered mm-hmm. Swimming Inc. It's a nonprofit that's dedicated to providing professional, affordable dependable aquatic training to our community. I mean, yeah. you know, our community, the black community, and maybe all as well, but definitely here for black people. So, um, you know, she's worked with a bunch of organizations from Red Cross to Speedo, which I think is a very like brand new um, venture you're going into. So, you know, I'm excited yeah. to hear about all of that, everything and just everything. But um, yeah. to uh, start it all off, I just have one question for you. Mm-hmm. What's what up? are three things that most people don't know about you? That most people don't know. Um, I'm clumsy. <laughs> I'm very clumsy. I mean, it makes sense that I'm a swimmer because I am a, a beast in the pool, but on land, sheesh. Um, let's see. I am dyslexic, so I have a very hard time spelling and writing. I'm in grad school right now. Actually, people don't know that about me. So I'm in grad school. I'm dyslexic okay. and I'm clumsy. But um, writing papers takes me a a long time. <laughs> a long right. time. But you know, you just work through it. You just work through it. And you see, you flipped your letters. So you just flip them back. You just keep it pushing. So those okay. are my three things. That's yeah. interesting. So, mm-hmm. Oh, man. So I guess you have autocorrect going Oh, my goodness. That's pretty cool. What are you studying for grad school? Grad school, I know this seems off the wall from, you know, my company, but I am training to be a licensed marriage and family therapist and a sex therapist. Interesting. I know. know. It has no correlation. 
I mean, you but, could do some like underwater therapy stuff going on. Mm-hmm, which I have been. So my undergrad is in psychology um, and sociology. And I've been a swim instructor and a lifeguard for 12 years now. And okay. so while I was in school, I was still teaching. And it was very organic for me to include a lot of therapeutic methods that I learned when I had a client who has like a water phobia, things like that, um, or has had a traumatic experience in the water. And it's been amazing to coach them through a lot of their fears, a lot of their trauma and using what, you know, I got from school um, in that realm. So, yeah, I found a way. I also do um, special needs aquatic services. Um, It's called adapted swimming for like people who think, um, um, feel and move differently. So we're talking autism, we're talking cerebral palsy, we're talking anything, Down syndrome, um, any and everybody can learn how to swim. And so over my years, I've kind of learned how to deliver that service to people who are more unique. And it's been it's been pretty rewarding. Yeah. I like to be able to that people are more unique. You know, I feel like we always like mm-hmm. focus on people who are challenged and all this stuff. I mean, obviously there's an impact, but I mean, you can still go out and do your thing. So I like that unique. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. They can. You can swim. Like, there's no age limit with swimming. There's no physical requirement. I mean, there are people swimming in the Paralympics who are missing limbs. So it's like swimming is that sport that you can do. Anyone and everyone can swim, literally. And mm-hmm. I, I live and breathe by that. So, you know, nice. I just want to teach everybody. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. So mm-hmm. um, I heard that your kind of first experiences with swimming and in the pool was um, mm-hmm. post-surgery. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. So um, I was born with a really weird and long medical term for bow-legged but when I say bow-legged like bow-legged um my parents started to notice when I was coming up on one years old and I wasn't able to walk nor was I able to stand or support Mm. myself like my feet like I was you know bow-legged your legs look like that but my feet were so flipped up like it was kind of like I was walking on you know that part where your ankle turns into your foot that goes flat for normal people. Mine was like (laughs) standing up because of how, yeah, because of how bold my, my legs were. And so I had to have um, surgery. They put metal plates in my thighs. And um, thankfully, you know, I got the surgery done when I was so young and, you know, baby's bodies are malleable. So it just kind of cranked my legs out. Basically. I, I'm not a doctor. Mm -hmm. I can't explain this thing, but (laughs) they, uh, straighten my legs and I have been able to, you know, live and, and walk and swim. And, um, I was a ballet dancer for a couple of years. So my legs, okay, they, nice. they, they've done, they've done, they, a they work it. Yeah. They doing their thing down here. But, um, I get asked about them a lot because I have very visible, like visible, um, scar tissue mm-hmm. from the surgery, you know, the nineties, they, they weren't that great at concealing, surgery marks as they are now but um yeah I get asked about them a lot especially at the pool 
Mm-hmm. And um, what happened was after my cast came off, because I was in a, a cast for about six months, um, I had to learn how to move my legs properly. And um, my mother took me to the pool and the water gave me, you know, this this weightlessness. And um, I figured out how to move and kick and swimming came naturally to me. Like I've never taken a single swim lesson. I just kind of figured it out. You oh, know, nice. so my family has this this running joke that, you know, I learned how to swim before I could walk. It's technically true. <laughs> technically <laughs> what happened. Funny. Yeah. Actually kind of reminds me of that um, Kevin Hart stand up <laughs> when he's mm-hmm. talking about his dad. He's kind of threw him in the pool. Like, you got this. Yep. <laughs> Go. <laughs> Go. <laughs> Man. Yep. Yep. That's very cool. So you swimming, ballet. Um, how long were you doing ballet? I um I was in ballet for about from fifth grade to twelfth grade. So I attended the Cab Elementary School of the Arts and the Cab School of the Arts. Um and so I think that's why I'm all over the place now. Um so that school have you heard of fame before? Yeah. Same. So my elementary and high school was just like fame and that okay. we took acting classes, drama classes, theater, you know, well, that is acting, uh, ballet classes, um, you know, like multimedia design work, set building. Like we literally were a, a school that was a theater company and um, every aspect of a production we, we learned how to be involved in from being on stage to behind stage. And then we actually put these shows on for the community and we would travel to different high schools and perform the shows and competitions. So that was my high school. Um, I know you interviewed Nicole Kemp um, yeah. for her photography. So we went to the same high school. That's how okay. I knew her. Awesome. Oh, so, mm-hmm. so yeah, it, we, we, we were involved in so many different things at once. Like all of us kind of had to develop like a multitasking brain, mm-hmm. you know? And so while I was in school, I was doing ballet and theater. I was a theater student for quite some time. And um, we still had regular academic classes. Um, and, and all the while I was lifeguarding on the weekends and teaching swim lessons. So all of this kind of happened at the same time. <laughs> Very cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I almost went to an art school. I was playing violin. And uh, what ended oh, up nice. happening? I think, oh, I ended up going to this other school that was more kind of like agricultural based. And very, it was up in the mountains. And it's like a lot oh. of hiking and stuff. It's pretty cool. Uh-huh. Very unique experience. But um, I do. Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for real. Um, I do wish I kept playing the violin. I think at that time I was doing like kung fu, soccer, violin. Wow. Um, soccer was the only thing that stuck with me, and but I mean it worked out. So yeah, I, like I do still you, wish I played it. I like that you were involved in um, activities that are not traditionally black because right. we, we have to develop a presence in in these fields. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like we're breaking down a glass ceiling every time. So you went to an agricultural school. So I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I oh, know yeah. you were one of the only chocolate drops up there. <laughs> only, I think, I for it. one year there's another person. No, one year there's another guy. He left. He graduated. And girl. But, yeah, it was interesting. And 
all they could think of came yeah. with it. So, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel That's it. Cool. I feel it. All right. So, what uh, what kind of called you into uh, becoming a lifeguard? It was just a natural progression for me. So, um, you know how people walk onto a, a football team or they walk onto the basketball team. Like mm-hmm. a coach notices them and then they're like, oh, join my team. So that happened to me with swimming. The swim team coach just saw me in the pool um, when I was eight, I want to say. And apparently I was doing like professional strokes and I, I was just swimming, you okay. know, just swimming. Um, so I swam, you know, you walk on a football team. I swam onto the swim team and um I was a beast in the pool, just like a natural beast. And so I was always at the pool, always in practice and playing around with my friends. And I was on the team from eight to 16. And so like literally when I hit 16, my coach was like, Taj, go over to the other side of the pool and train to be a lifeguard. Like I kind of didn't have a choice. It was just like, (laughs) go do it. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So like, I was, I was just at the pool, so I was happy, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you gave me a check to be at the pool, so I was good. Oh, so this wasn't like a volunteer thing. This is like... No, lifeguards make money. Lifeguards make money because I know when you go to the pool or the beach and you see the lifeguard, we're just sitting there with our shades on looking like right. we're bored out of our minds, right? Mm-hmm. But the amount of training that we go through to be a lifeguard to be able to actually save a life if and when that happens, you know, is it's work. It is work. So, yes, you see us chilling, but behind the scenes in our training sessions, hmm, it's, not, it's not easy. No, it's not easy work whatsoever. Um, and there's just this misconception about it because what you know the the public sees is not what actually happens you only get to really see a lifeguard go to work when there is an emergency and that's unfortunate right right but a good lifeguard like truth be told a good lifeguard is one who never has to leave their lifeguard stand because all we're doing is pointing out yeah pointing out instances that could become you know risk that could become an emergency so that's why you blowing our whistle yeah. all day that's so we don't have to get up because if we get oh, up wow. that means it's a problem and if it's a problem <laughs> it's not a good day so that's funny yeah you know now yeah. you say that i'm kind of taking back to like one like the only real instance i know of like a lifeguard is like when i'm watching baywatch with uh the mm-hmm. rock in it the spongebob episode when there's the <laughs> lifeguard <laughs> and when i was a kid right <laughs> Yeah, when I was a kid, like, I remember, like, lifeguards were annoying, but I guess they were just doing our lives. Because <laughs> we try to do something, like, right. blow the whistle, but no, okay, well, I'll have to go back. Right, and we're just trying to have fun. And <laughs> right. all the while, we just see, like, like risk behavior, you know? We see, you know, drowning victims before they become a drowning victim. We see, uh, you know, um, someone suffering from a heat stroke before it actually happens. You know what I mean? So, yeah, we can be annoying. I have come to terms with that. It is okay. Because I'm right. here to actually protect you. And because we have that much responsibility, 
from a legal standpoint and from a personal standpoint, we get paid more than a Mm. lot of other people that work in um, like rec rec facilities. And it just is what it is. Like I've never known minimum wage because I've always been aquatic trained. Right. And it's because you have to constantly keep up your certification. You have to constantly train. And if there is an emergency, you are the first responder. So it's like we're the EMTs at that Mm -hmm. facility if there is an emergency. And so like from a business standpoint, I've had to come into interviews like you going to at least pay me 12 an hour for me to sit in this chair at least. And that was five six years ago so imagine how much i get paid now to sit in a chair you know what i'm saying so that is interesting you know yeah it's interesting like when you think about certain jobs like i think for a lot of people someone would probably like associate being a lifeguard with like working at the grocery store or um Mm-hmm. We're kind of like look, look it's down a summer job. Type of jobs. Yeah, summer job. Not serious, you know. Call me when you're ready for a real job, something like that. Right. I know I was working in like a soccer dome once in Charleston, and there was this guy like he came to play and everything. And he's like, "Yo, when are you gonna get a real job?" I was like, "What are you talking about? I get paid." He's like, "No, nah, when are you gonna get... get a real job?" I was like, "I okay. get paid." <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> right. So like, I wonder. Um, one thing I like to ask everybody, and it usually ends up happening later, but I'm kind of curious. Um. How do you define professionalism? I define professionalism by doing what you know is the right thing to do to execute. I just pulled that out of the cloud somewhere, just thin air. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. No, but like, because. Um, I think about professionalism a lot because uh, I like to live in my skin as a black woman, um, an unapologetically black woman, you know, and um, a confident woman. And a lot of times that can be very off putting and can come off as unprofessional in nature because I'm being present as myself. You know, and I'm goofy. You know, I, I like to talk a lot. I talk with my hands, you know, just me. Um, and so I have been told before that, you know, I come off unprofessional. I have been told that my hair is unprofessional. I have been told these things. Um, but I really don't kind of care because I do my job and I do it well. So it's like, Mm. do you want me to be somebody else? You know, you want this job done and you want it done right. Okay, you want it done to the best of my ability. I can deliver that and I can deliver it with with all of my authenticity and uh, uh, personability. I can I can do that. But if you are looking for like someone else, then it's just not me. You know what I mean? So that's not professionalism for me. That's you are you just don't want Taj. Cool. But if you want somebody who is knowledgeable, who can deliver, who can execute, that's professionalism for me. I did the job and I did it well. You know what I mean? So it just depends. Do you want professional or do you want cookie cutter? What do you what are you actually looking for here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's pretty much what I think. 
Thank you for asking me that. I've never really thought about that. Mm. My definition of professionalism. Uh-uh. Yeah. I'd like yeah. to ask everybody because, um, you know, one of the things that I'm pushing to do is really challenge these perspectives that are used to like hold up things that really discriminate. And like that word professionalism is it, used yeah. a lot mm-hmm. to keep black people out of spaces. So, and like Very calling our hair so. unprofessional, all these things, basically they're finding all these excuses, keep black people out, let the next people out, basically everyone out <laughs> if they don't fit that perfect mold or kind of fall in line. If they don't like fit that saying. mold, right. Right. That cookie cutter mode. I worked in corporate for six months. Let's see how well that went, you know. Um, <laughs> and like my hair came up. I was the only black woman in the office with natural hair. And um, the words uh, they, they said, you know, we want we want all of our associates to appear very professional and um, uh well put together and sometimes you know your hair can look a bit unkempt these these were the words unkempt and so i'm like i don't know how kempt my hair can be when it's literally like stuck together and um how is a messy bun not unkempt you know because it's called a messy (laughs) (laughs) messy bun and you know this is me in you know a professional meeting with my superiors so Mm. (laughs) What type of job was it? Uh, uh, car insurance. Uh, were you like a uh, client facing? No. Well, I was a uh, customer service. So no, sure. I was on the phone, but they oh. did have a standard for the office space. Definitely. Um, and I, de- I dressed to standard. My, my hair was always neat. You know, I didn't let my new growth get overrun or anything like that. I don't have, you know, my hair is equivalent mm-hmm. to, you know, straight hair, just having your hair down. It's equivalent to a weave. It's equivalent to, you know, this European standard of beauty, but it's it's my natural hair doing it. And I know that's different. I understand that it's different, but it ain't going nowhere. You can either right. have me with my locks or you're not going to have me. <laughs> it's kind of simple. I don't know if you can tell this. But I'm a I'm a poor employee because I do this. I challenge, you know, these status quos a lot, which is why I went into business for myself, because I'm like, <laughs> I just can't I just can't do this. I went into business for myself for that reason. I'm not you tell me something I'm doing that's just me is wrong for the business, then I, I feel like I shouldn't be there, you know? Well, this isn't the business right. for me. It's kind of interesting being a poor employee. I think that's, and kind of for the reasons that you mentioned it, because I really think about like what it takes to be a leader oftentimes, Mm -hmm. um, especially for career growth and everything. And I feel like if I'm someone with employees, I personally don't want people to just follow suit because let's say like, let's say I'm like a fashion person. I'm like, oh no, this is a style. Mm -hmm. Like I need people to let me know like, oh, this is not... This is not it. Right. Um, right. So anything you just this challenging the leadership, I think is oftentimes looked at as like a bad behavior. But I mean, mm-hmm. one, that just shows the leadership within you because you're asking questions and just helping everyone stay accountable and get to that better, higher quality growth. Yep. 
Interesting. I appreciate that because hmm. um, I've been getting phrases like insubordination my whole like you know coming <laughs> to this point in my career you know so it, it is looked at negatively it is very much so looked at negatively but like I said it's something that I like of my personality because it forces growth and that's what we're here for you know so okay, for new growth Exactly. Exactly. So I'm going to ask questions. Right. This is what it is. So how was that transition from, you know, was it you went into the business like right after that six months in corporate or did you go to another job after that? I went into business. Um, Well, I kind of did both. I so the company tanked. Um, everyone was laid off. This was in 2017. Every, everyone was laid off. Um, and so I, I panicked because, you know, I'm an independent woman. I pay all of my bills. Um, so how was I going to keep myself afloat basically? And thankfully having my certifications as a lifeguard, a lifeguard instructor and a water safety instructor for the Red Cross, like I have means to a job. Right. And so I went back to lifeguarding, just sitting in a lifeguard chair and all of that time of me sitting and thinking, watching other people swim. I basically built a business plan to take my information back to my community because um, like I said before, like I would when I would go into a job interview, like I would be offered you know, like lower rate for a lifeguard, which is still higher than minimum wage. Uh, but I've been a lifeguard for a very long time. So I'm not going to settle for being paid eight, $9. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was sitting, like I had to drive to, I live in college park now. I know you're fresh to Atlanta, but it's right by the airport. And I would have to drive to Alpharetta, which is a mm. good. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And before COVID traffic, going to Alpharetta just so I could work for an aquatic company that would pay me what I am worth. And that bothered me because those same services, that same um, like knowledgeability that I have with aquatics is not being given to my people. I would have to go serve them. But mine was getting, I don't know if you've seen a pool in the hood, but they are some of the most like rundown facilities. I mean, like, like they're, they won't have working water fountains, you know, they won't have like, there's a pool. Um, there's a city of Atlanta pool that literally has barbed wire on top of the fencing. So it's like you have them swimming in a prison pool. That's what it looks like. You know, Um, the lifeguard stands don't have umbrellas. So we like imagine sitting in the hot sun for hours with the pool reflecting back at you and you don't have an umbrella. And this is the city of Atlanta parking wrecks. You know what I mean? So it's, it's honestly like shameful. And so here I am driving to Alpharetta, Johns Creek, sometimes even further lifeguarding at these beautiful facilities. I'm talking about water slides. I'm talking you know, they have splash pads and little kids are just running through and they have life jackets and sunscreen and everything that you need to enjoy the pool is available for them, but it's not available for us. 
And so I started to get pissed off. <laughs> I really started to get pissed off working there. One, just being a black woman in the field, um, I would be challenged a lot by the um, by the patrons because they're not used to seeing a me. And not only seeing a me, but seeing a me in a supervisor role. And so it was hard to get, you know, respect. And I had to kind of demand it a lot. Um, for example, I would be asked weird questions like, let's say I show up to the pool. I have on a full uniform that says I'm a supervisor um, and I have keys to open the gates. And these two white women felt the need to come up and ask me if I work there. And so I was like, nah, I just got the keys. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, <laughs> it's just things like that. Just it, it would frustrate me so much. And um, but I'm, I'm thankful for it because I use that fuel and that time to write my business plan to, you know, get my nonprofit registered with the state of Georgia to save my money and pay for all of the upfront costs. And so by the beginning of 2018, I was like. I'm out, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm finna go do my own thing. And I've been working for myself ever since. And it's been a, a wonderful, it's been a wonderful transition. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's pretty incredible. So you just had to kind of stuck with it until you're able to fully kind of pay for everything that you needed to establish it the right way. I like that. Yes. Because business, going into business is expensive. It is expensive. So I wanted to make sure that I could do it and pay my bills, you know, because I have to maintain my lifestyle as well. Right. Pay other people, you know, be able to offer opportunities for other people. So it it, it took time, but we got there. I want to take a quick break to tell you about our brand new collection called I Love New Growth. Inspired by the natural hair journey, we wanted to do something that both symbolizes when new hair is growing as well as the hard work that goes into growing in your personal or professional life. New growth isn't always pretty or Instagram worthy. You know, it's often uncomfortable. There's countless mistakes and just these incredibly embarrassing moments that come with it but without these moments of struggle are you really growing at boss locks we don't just celebrate the destination but the journey it takes to get there i love new growth and i'm now reminding myself to appreciate all that comes with it the boss locks shop now has new growth shirts hoodies and crew neck sweatshirts available when you go to www.bosslocks.org shop or you can just go to bosslocks.org and click the shop button to place your order today. That is www.bosslocks.org slash shop. And we also will have the link in the description too. You know, I love new growth. Thank you for listening. And now back to our show. So um, I'm curious about all the different things that your nonprofit offers. But before we kind of get into that, can you speak a little bit on like the history of, um, you know, black people in swimming pools? Sheesh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
much like everything else in our glorious country, it is riddled with racism, riddled with it. Um, so pools, of course, were segregated, just like everything, you know. Um, black people were discouraged from swimming even in their own pools, colored pools or whatever, because uh, stereotypes and a lot of ne- negative rhetoric was often spread about black people. Of course, you know, we're talking the 60s here and we're black. And so black people are dirty. You know what I'm saying? You have to drain the entire pool after a black person gets out of it. Uh, black people, you know, have a, like more bone density and so they can't swim. You know, these things that actually don't make sense. Um, the most horrific one for me is the notion that black people, black men in particular, would go underwater and sexually harass white women because they could do it under the veil of the water. It, it's just, <laughs> wow. you know, idiot, idiot things, but we're not, we're not talking logic. We're talking social construction here. We're talking, how do we get people to actually believe that black people are, you know, these beastly creatures that should have remained enslaved, right? So they do not get the privilege to learn how to swim. They don't. Um, But in the colored facilities, um, no swim lessons would be offered. Um, Like I said, the pools would be run down and um, just janky, just janky. And so when integration happened, you know, you couldn't legally keep a black person out of a white pool. But of course, white people and their, you know, systematic approach to racism, they made it very difficult for a black person to swim. They gave them really inconvenient hours. They made it uh, expensive. A lot of facilities turned into like members only facilities that a black person couldn't afford to go swim at, they couldn't afford to pay the membership fee. So it's not that you're black, it's just that you can't afford it, you know, those type things. Um, and then of course, white people would uh, perpetuate these these stereotypes and make it even more difficult and the police would turn a blind eye. A, a good friend of mine whose father grew up in the era that I'm talking about, um, there was a, it was a pool it was like a white pool. It was a, a white pool in a black neighborhood and it was separated by a ditch. It was separated by this big ditch. Now, when integration happened, that white pool had to open up to black people, right? But the community wasn't having it. The white community did not want that. And so all of their young men would wait in that ditch for the black children to try and come to the pool. And so my friend's father said he literally had to beat someone's ass every time he wanted to go swimming. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like you gotta, you gotta prepare for battle before you go to the pool just to chill. It's Mm. crazy. And this is someone I'm talking to. This wasn't years and years and years ago. This is my homie father. You know what I'm saying? Same age as my father. So it's there's that, you know, it's riddled with uh, racism, um, systematic discrimination, just like almost every facet of our history. And it's still 
you know, existing today. The fact that I just described a pool to you that has barbed wire around the top of it, this is today. You know what I mean? This is a black pool today, and I have to go to a white pool that's got three water slides. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. Like 40 um, minutes away, too. Exactly. Exactly. Um, there's also a lot of fear instilled in us because of the trauma that we have gone through as uh, being being black in America. I mean, like, um, in, you know, our homeland, yes, black people swim because they, you know, black people are fishermen. You know what I mean? They, they learn how to. But then we took this middle passage over here and many of our ancestors, you know, took their lives in this water. And then you get here and we are not allowed to use it. And we are hosed down by water. And we are, you know, like racist people would pour bleach into black pools. And so you would jump into a pool and then your your skin is burning like you have acid pouring on. You know what I mean? Mm. And so it's like we literally have generations upon generations of fear just being black. And then there is the very real reality of drowning. You know, just simply the water existing, we can lose our lives to it. And so when, when you hear someone be like, I ain't going near that water, like I feel them. I feel them on a deep level because, you know, that I'm quite sure that their parents told them, you know what I'm saying? Don't go near that water. And their grandparents don't go near that water. It makes sense. It right. makes sense. But it's, it's, it's holding us back at this point. You know what I'm saying? We have the knowledge. We have the resources now. And so we have to get over that mental barrier. Because that's all it is at this point. A mental barrier of fear. But uh, fear is not easy to get over. Not at all. Um, And I would say the last prominent reason why Black people, like, historically do not swim um, is our hair that it's 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 a thing <laughs> it's a big Next. thing um our hair costs a lot of money our hair takes a lot of time we hold a lot of pride into our hair i mean you have an entire podcast about our hair and how that has affected us professionally you know what i mean so it's 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 a big deal for us it's we carry so much of ourselves and our pride in it and I'm not about to get it wet. Like, as soon as it's done, I'm not about to get my hair wet. So I get it. Like, I feel you. I feel you. I get it. Um, but I feel like that is the easiest hurdle for us to jump over. The easiest hurdle. And so, shameless plug here. I plug am partnered with. I'm partnered with a company called Soul Cap and it's a black owned company and they have created a swim cap that is big enough to hold big natural black hair like this. And so um, I was able to go swimming. I was able to teach my swim lessons and my hair stayed dry. And my brother with locks, you know, when we wash our hair, it takes. It takes a minute. Yeah, it takes a minute to dry, and so with my profession, I'm in the pool every day, 
So it's either I find a way to keep my hair dry or my hair is going to smell like mildew because it's constantly wet. And I'm not living my life like that. And so I found this company that's created a product that is for us by us. And it's literally changed my life. You know, it's changed how um, it's changed my willingness to get in the pool and actually swim and go up underwater versus me being a coach like this. You know, <laughs> trying to <laughs> right. keep your head up like trying, I, yeah, I was on stage. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Just let me, you know, <laughs> don't just splash. Try to keep my hair dry. <laughs> right. Stop splashing me. That's me as a lifeguard. Uh-uh, don't splash me. <laughs> Keeping my hair dry. Oh, <laughs> no, it's been a struggle. It's been no. a struggle, but you know, the products are out there the resources are finally available. And so um, that is a part of my nonprofit now is like letting the community know that these, there is a way, there is a way that we can maintain our love for having our hair done um, and, and learn how to swim because swimming is just that important. It's, it's, it's a liberation tool. It's, you know, a life-saving tool. Like, to be honest, we can't afford to lose any more Black lives and drowning is a 100% preventable death. It's 100% preventable. And so of all those reasons I've talked about to not swim, I feel you on all of them, but the hair one, we got to get over that. We can get over that. And so... I want to help provide the resources and the know-how to get over that and swimming. That's really big. You know, I'm definitely one of those people who, um, you know, I remember taking swimming lessons, but Uh we had to stop because it was just too expensive. In fact, I remember, I don't know if we were already there, but we were kind of on the way. And I think for some reason it was Uh canceled, but then me and my mom were talking and she's like, do you want to keep doing it? I was like, oh, I don't know. So yeah. like, it just, <laughs> yeah. So it was like, it was just like a luxury that, it, it was kind of like a luxury type of thing. And, yeah. You know, when you have to be really, really stuck to that budget, you have to choose what's important and what's not. And I think swimming. Big facts. And swimming goes on the back burner. Mm-hmm. I understand. You know, that's, that's a, a trope across our community like and it's partial in part because we don't see black people excelling in swimming you know we see black people excelling in football we see them excelling in basketball but we don't see black people excelling in aquatics and so if there's you know only so much money in the budget to to pay for my child's one recreational activity You know, it would make sense to me to put that money towards something where I know my child can see themselves succeeding, you know, but we don't see it in swimming. We don't see it. And swimming is time consuming. It is expensive. Swim lessons are not cheap, you know. And so it's it's easy for me to understand a, a black parent choosing to invest their money elsewhere. And I don't blame them. And that's why I have a nonprofit instead of a for profit, because. It's a life-saving skill. You know what I mean? I love football. Well, I really don't. Let me not lie. It's cool. <laughs> it's cool. When, you know, 
when it's on, I just do something else. Um, basketball's cool. I care slightly more about basketball than I do about football, but mm, yeah. Swimming can save your life, though. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm like, it's great. You want to be a football player? Go do that. You want to be a basketball player? Go do that. But if you are ever walking past a pool and you slip and fall for whatever reason, I need you to be able to save your life. It is my my goal to make swim lessons, um, if not free, affordable for anybody, but especially my folks. Cause they can afford it. Let's be real, but mine, not not as much. Right, not as much. I love it. So I feel like there's a actually one quick question. Have you met Michael Phelps yet? Hmm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. But I am very close with um, the diversity and inclusion consultant for the Michael Phelps Foundation. So. Mm. I have a channel to Michael (laughs) (laughs) through a black woman, right? Oh, that's even better. Yeah, yeah. So, um, no, I don't know him. (laughs) But he's for (laughs) us. He is for, you know, like like, uh, promoting diversity in aquatics. I can say that about his platform and the work that he's doing. Um, and I can say that for sure because I have a, a personal connection with someone who works with him, not just for him, but with him. So, hmm. yeah, it's good. It's good. I was pleased to to find that out about him. It's always good to know because um, I feel like sometimes it's hard to tell. You know, a lot of times it's easy. I personally feel like it's easy to not be racist when everyone's watching, but like behind closed doors. Right. It's like, well, how do you know? Um and how do you really know? How do you really know? I think that's been a theme this whole year. Um, it has been interesting oh, to see goodness, yes. everyone that's come out to support. And of course, with that, there's obviously some people kind of following a trend, but you see some true, genuine support, which I know for me was actually really shocking. Like, I had to take a step back, like, really? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it took me a minute to really process and accept that people were really kind of with us. And um, saying, yeah, I still don't uh, fully. It's uh, the word choices I'm looking for here. Uh, eh. I'm just like, oh, okay, cool. You know, that's the best way I could describe it. Like, oh, you're 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 you know, Black Lives Matter. You care about us now. Cool. Right. I'll take the white guilt. I will take it. Mm-hmm. As long as there's progress, but don't just posture. That's my thing. Don't act like you for us because now it's trending, right? Right. Don't act like, like you after for election us. season too. I've heard <laughs> people say like, "Yeah, there's all this energy. You know, it's gonna, it's not gonna last too much longer." So you gotta. I was like, "Oh, that's how you feel." That's how you so, feel. Right. Okay. Cool. 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 Right. Cool. Good to know. <laughs> right. So it's it's a very weird time, you know, for everyone. But I, I will say for for our culture specifically, it's just been very weird because we're watching our people literally be murdered right in front of us. And for some reason, there is a political debate about it. And, you know, we're trying to decipher what's real and what's fake, not only with, you know, our justice system, with our 
um, medical system with, <laughs> it's just, it's like, what do we believe here? You know, we have so much mistrust and all of that mistrust has just been, you know, put on front street this year, like complete on blast. And so I'm in full confidence saying, I do not know anything. <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> You tell me you're for us, cool. You want to go be, you know, you want to justify somebody murdering a young lady while she's asleep? Mm. Cool. <laughs> mm. Mm. Right. It's so much. It's so much. It's so much. That's a lot. You know, the governor of Georgia wants to reopen Georgia. <laughs> yeah. How do you... Yeah, How do you much. feel about opening back up since it would kind of be opportunity for you to kind of get back out there um, and do what you do? Um, well, pools are um, honestly a lot more safe than people believe. I think it's because when you go to the pool, like you, you cannot wear a mask. You, you, uh, you know, you, barely wear clothes type thing um uh i have a background of, like i'm able to like deal with pool chemicals and things like that we have never played any games with having viruses in a pool never mm. never i know this might be tmi but i just want to give you perspective like a child can can go number two in the pool right mm -hmm. and we are able to get that water back to a level where it is safe for you to swim in it and it not be a toilet. You know what I mean? Really? Without having to drain the pool, you know? And so if we, if we can make the water safe enough for you to swim, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it literally kills the same way. Like hand sanitizer kills COVID-19 chlorine kills COVID-19. So it's one of the safest places that you could be, but it has been an uphill battle trying to convince that to people who do not know what actually goes on at a pool hmm. to people who do not know. And I don't fault them for that because a lot of the information I have about running pools, you would not get unless you are constantly at a pool. Right. Uh, it's just been, it's been very difficult this year getting people to just kind of accept what I've been telling them because there is a lot of fear surrounding this virus. There is a lot of mistrust surrounding this virus and there's a lot of confusion about what we should actually mm. do to keep people safe. And because I wholeheartedly understand that, like after I presented the facts on facts on facts, if you still want to keep the pool closed and by all means, keep the pool closed. I'm not going to tell you to do anything that you feel would be unsafe in 2020. I'm not doing it. Right. So I like that it's been it's frustrating um, because I can't do my job. But Right. Yeah. I feel like if things were, you know, implemented differently at the beginning, like, you know, the news just came out that the president, and I mean, this speaks to a lot of things. That's a whole other episode. But like, he knew exactly Man. how dangerous this all was, but downplayed it like all the way. <laughs> Because he's a businessman. Yeah. He's a businessman. And so closing these businesses is bad. It's bad. So we're going to keep them open. We're going to keep America open for as long as we can. 
I want to take a quick break to tell you about our brand new collection called I Love New Growth. You know, inspired by the natural hair journey, we wanted to do something that both symbolizes when new hair is growing as well as the hard work that goes into growing in your personal or professional life. New growth isn't always pretty or Instagram worthy. You know, it's often uncomfortable. There's countless mistakes and just these incredibly embarrassing moments that come with it. But without these moments of struggle, are you really growing? At Boss Locks, we don't just celebrate the destination, but the journey it takes to get there. I love new growth, and I'm now reminding myself to appreciate all that comes with it. The Boss Locks shop now has new growth shirts, hoodies, and crew neck sweatshirts available when you go to www.bosslocks.org shop. Or you can just go to bosslocks.org and click the shop button to place your order today. That is www.boss.org. L-O-C-K-S dot org slash shop. And we also will have the link in the description too. You know, I love new growth. Thank you for listening. And now back to our show. I wanted to, one, I wanted to congratulate you on your partnership with Speedo. Thank you. I think that that is huge for a lot of different reasons, um, and especially during this time. And I, know, I mean, I know I probably took some time to actually put it in motion, but for them to come out like that to say, "Yeah, we're with you," to kind of fight inequalities, I think that's um, that's a big statement. Yeah. It's nice. Um, we have work to do. That's what I will, will what I will say on mm-hmm. that. Um, we have work to do. And this has been dealing with a corporation that is notoriously Caucasian, notoriously Caucasian. It is uh, an uphill battle a lot of the times, but um, I am very grateful. And because this is the first time that they've done that, that they have partnered with a, a black company and they're trying. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to say. They are trying. Um, because they literally don't know, you know what I mean? Like all of the things I just talked about with you, like would be mind blowing to them because they have a completely different experience with aquatics than, than what we have. And so it's just a work in progress. I'm, I'm really thankful for it. I'm proud of it. Um, but it is, it feels like I'm breaking a glass ceiling every time I open my mouth. You know, mm. every time we have a meeting, it's like I have to constantly re-break this glass, you know, because right. they're, they're pretty much very set in doing things the way that they've been doing. But at the same time, they have this conscious of understanding that, like, the world is changing. We need to be on the right side of history. How do we do this the right way and not look like posers? Hmm. Well, that's what's going on with Speedo. Well, I feel like you're the right person to be breaking that ceiling because um, it's that's a big task. That's a big task. Um, how are you doing anything more for self care since you're in these environments, mm. having to be the person to like break through? Because I feel like that we don't speak that's about how kind of taxing that is. That's a very good question. Um, it is very taxing, very draining, and taxing especially having to repeat yourself and um a lot of times they want me to put my trauma on a platform 
platform, like a little, not a platform, I say a little platter for them and kind of just hand it to them. And I, I understand that they're, you know, they have honest intentions of just fully understanding, but, but they don't see it as me having to relive, you know, black issues over and over and over again for them to understand, you know? So I appreciate that question. I do take a lot of time to center myself. Um, I'm a, I'm a very spiritual woman. I uh, do a lot of chakra meditations. I charge my crystals in full moon. Shout out to Beyonce. I, um, I talk a lot to, well, I have a therapist seeing as I have a therapist background. Like I do have a therapist of my own. I'm a huge component of talking out your shit because if you keep it, it will fester. And then it would keep me from being able to answer another phone call with Speedo. You know what I mean? But then we would have missed this opportunity to collaborate if I had just held on to all of my frustrations. Um, so that helps the fact that I have a therapist that I actively work with. Um, I actively meditate, even if it's just for a few minutes a day, just literally sitting down, clearing my mind and listening to how my body feels about something. Um, And I'm adamant about my office hours. I will say that I am adamant about the time that I spend on Empowered Swimming Incorporated. You get this much time of Taj. Other than that, don't ask me nothing about swimming. (laughs) Don't ask me, can I teach you? Don't ask me. "Mm -mm." If you send me an email, I'll respond tomorrow. That type thing, because it's easy to be consumed in your work when it's your work. And it's, it, this is my passion work too. So I want to give it my all, all the time. I want to, but I've realized that as a millennial and as, you know, living in this Western society, um, it's kind of frowned upon to, you know, take your time. It's like you, you constantly have to go, 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 go. It's like, you know, the early bird gets the worm, but I like to sleep in, you know, it's like you have to constantly be on a grind. And of course, black culture, hip hop culture kind of perpetuates that a lot of like, you know, hustle mentality all the time. But I don't think that's healthy. Personally, mm-hmm. I do not think that's healthy. I have my office hours, right, which is equivalent to your nine to like anybody, not you specifically, but anybody's nine to five. Um, and outside of that, that is Taj time. That's when I spend time with my family. I spend time with my boyfriend. I spend time with myself. That's my time. It's my time. So that's how I self care. Pretty much. Got to be resolute. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm gonna start focusing more on some of those things, especially the office hours part. <laughs> and. All right, so the um, office hours are important. Yeah, yeah, because you could easily end up doing something for someone at 10 p.m., 2 a.m. if you're not careful. So I like that. Yep, you sure can. And they won't, you know. And then you'll be craving for appreciation for all the time and work that you put in, and it's just it it, it opens a huge can of insecurities and issues. I feel like if you don't take care of yourself 
while you're doing other work. Just do what you need to be okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What you need to be okay. So that you're not looking for any external validation from the work you've done. It's just like, here's my work. You know, receive it how you receive it. I like that. Okay. Thank you. So um, before we go, I want to transition into just hearing more about your own um, hair journey. So um, I'm curious how or what inspires you to start growing locks? Um, vanity got me to lock my hair. So I locked in, in 2015. These are only five years. I don't know how they've gotten this long. <laughs> but this just it just happened. I mean, I do know my hair has always been like super long, super thick. But prior to me locking, um, I was I was in a a, a pretty rough state. I was I was in a rough place in my life. I was also graduating college. Um And I was miserable and I couldn't understand why I was miserable because here I am coming up on a milestone and I graduated like top of my class too. So this is like, what's, what's wrong, you know? Um, But I also wore my hair in this huge Afro. Like it was like massive and I wore it. It was kind of like I was putting a lot of emphasis and attention on my hair so it could be taken off of me. I didn't want people to actually see that I was hurting, that I was depressed. I didn't want anybody to see that. So here I am walking around with this big statement piece on my head and it got me a lot of positive attention. Like, oh my gosh, your hair is so beautiful. It's so big. I'm talking about from anybody because it was that massive. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was every day. I'm sitting there picking it out and it's all the way out to here. Um. And I loved it, but I still felt like shit. And so here I am, I'm like, I'm doing everything that I know to do, you know, to make myself feel better, but it's not working. It's not working. And so I was like, well, I'm going to do something different. And I put my hair in two strand twists and I just did not take them out. (laughs) Here we are. Yeah. So it's interesting how our hair, like our own hair journey can um, really impacts our lives. Like I always tell people uh-huh. like my lock journey, personal journey, entrepreneurial journey, like they're all intertwined. You can't have one without the other because it really exactly everything. So do you consider your hair a hairstyle or a lifestyle? Ooh, lifestyle for sure. Yeah. lifestyle I barely style my hair so I can't even call it that <laughs> this is the <laughs> most you'll get on a daily <laughs> this is the most you'll get on a day-to-day basis um otherwise it's it's in this little pineapple sitting on top of my head that's it that's it but I definitely think it's a lifestyle it's um it's become a part of who I am although I don't put my worth in my hair Like, Mm. I I do know that if, you know, I woke up one day and wanted, you know, something new, like I could cut my hair off and I would still be, you know, the same person. But um, I did go through a lot of changes when when I locked my hair and my lifestyle definitely changed just from 
the type of products I use, like on a surface level type of products I use, how I wrap my hair every night or um, how I express my discomfort where I used to like twiddle a, a necklace of mine. Now I just, you know, I pull at my hair. So little things have changed since I've had them. So it's definitely a lifestyle things. People have responded to me differently um, since I've had them. So it's, it's been a change. It's been, it was a whole, it's been a whole change. It changed my self-confidence, you know, my self-esteem, especially going through the, the ugly phase. I put these quotes cause I was cute, but <laughs> I still had to like, I still felt a lot of type of ways because I no longer, I didn't like weave a lot. Um, before I went to the fro. So I always went from like big and bold to big and bold. And here I am with these little itty bitty, <laughs> little twists in my head. And, you know, I'm feeling insecure about it and everything. And I'm not getting any compliments on my hair. <laughs> Stuff like oh, that. Man. But then when I got some drop to them, <laughs> you couldn't tell me nothing. <laughs> couldn't tell me nothing. <laughs> but that time, those months, those months of of locking turned my self-esteem around. It really did. My self-confidence, it completely turned it around. And so now I, I don't care what you got to say about my hair. I really don't. It's mine. That's right. <laughs> Lifestyle. I love, that's right. That's right. I love that. Now, um, I know if it goes, so just two more questions. Um, how can everyone find you? Okay. How can everyone find me? Yeah. Um, personally, um, you can find me the easiest, I guess, on my Instagram. I'm not a social media person, which is bad in this society. But um, my Instagram, my personal one is at T-A-J-Y-O-M-A-R-I, which is my name. My name is Taj Yasmin Omari, so it's Taj Y Omari. Um, I'm real basic, I know. Um, <laughs> and then also my business Instagram, which is uh, at Empowered Swimming Inc. Both the same on Facebook. It's just my name, Taj Omari. And then there is an Empowered Swimming Inc. page. Um, the most professional representation of me would be uh, my website, which is empoweredswimminginc.com, um, where you can find everything that we're doing, all of our partnerships. You can contact us. The website is under construction right now. Things have changed within the structure of our business uh, because of COVID. We are no longer a service provider, um, as in we don't conduct swim lessons anymore. It's more so we will pay for, uh, we will basically write you a check to go take your child to swim lessons or take yourself to swim lessons, wherever is most convenient for you. It kind of casts a much broader net than what we could offer service wise. Um, And if you so, and if you say that you specifically want a, you know, a black person to teach your black child, then we will find um, a black instructor for you and pay for it. So all you got to do is just show up. That's a pretty amazing mm-hmm. service. That's that's very big. I like that you're always continuing mm-hmm. to grow and offer new ways for people to to um, 
be able to save their own life and others. So. Got to. Got to. I just want money in the bank. Have no time for them. We just pray and say amen. That is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Boss Locks podcast, where we redefine professionalism, elevate black voices, and prove that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Now, if you like today's episode, want to get to know our guests a little bit more, check out the links in the description. It'll take you to our website where you'll see all the different places where you can connect with our guests. And, you know, if it's your first time visiting, go ahead and keep browsing to learn more about Boss Locks. While you're there, you can learn about everything that we've got going on, why we started, and you can get your own your own merch, your own I Love New Growth, a Boss Locks original shirt, or even like a, if you're really about it, a Nuck View Buck apparel as well. Now, um, also in the description, you'll see links on how best to support our show. That's right. I know I've mentioned it here and there, different ways you can support, but I decided to go ahead and just create a whole page that just talks about all the different ways that you can support. And guess what? The number one way to support our show is actually really easy. It's to tell a friend to tell a friend. You know, um, this show has a lot of great lessons, value, and just really interesting perspectives that I think... um, you know, you never really know what might help someone get through something. So, um, and that's part of why I put this show together to help people, a specific type of person. But overall, these lessons can be applied to many different things. So, anyways, you know, I could keep talking forever, but I just want to say thank you once again for listening, and I'll see you this Tuesday for our next episode. Thank you for listening. Haters, I don't even breathe them Grab the bro, cause I don't even see them Shout the family, cause I need them Yeah, I need them If I pull up in the German I, I want the best version Tryna kill bills like Uma Thurman Uma Thurman Money in the bank Money in the bank I just want money in the bank Money in the bank I just want money in the bank Money in the bank, I just want money in the bank, I just want, I just want money in the bank.